0: This is the Breastfeeding Talk Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Today we have Professor Amy Brown with us. She is known as Professor of the Boobs, and she's a professor of Maternal and Child Health at Swansea University in the UK. Welcome, Amy. Good evening for
1: us, or good morning for you from when we're recording this.
0: That's right. No, I'm so happy that we were able to connect across time zones and uh, especially with all of the health challenges going on in the world these days. So it's an absolute honor to have you here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, we were just chatting about this is kind of funny because, you know, she's in Wales, I'm in Arizona, and they're completely locked down there and have been for five weeks. And you could basically do whatever you want here in Arizona. So it's quite. A contrast um, That strategy is not working out well for us in case anyone was wondering, but <laughs> here we are safe in our homes, able to meet with each other today. And one of the reasons why I've wanted to have uh, someone like Amy come on the podcast and actually had thought about her name early on when I launched it last year. Actually, it's been almost exactly a year to the day since I launched the podcast the day that we're recording. That's
1: pretty cool. Probably feels um, like a lot longer. <laughs> It
0: just feels like less has
1: been them. Um, yes.
0: <laughs> oh goodness, does it? Um, but yeah, there's so many, so many wonderful things that Amy writes about and and, and is involved in, in research and teaching and things that are so relevant to you know this podcast and, and just breastfeeding in general. So we're gonna go to probably a lot of different places today. But um, there was a post that you made on Instagram that really caught my attention because I was like, wow, that, that's such a great way of, of uh, you know just phrasing things. And I'm gonna read just a little bit of it. I wanna read the whole thing and just sit here and read to people. But you had said uh, in quotes that, no, there's no need to breastfeed. I didn't, and my baby is fine. And this is something that you know breastfeeding moms hear a lot. And uh, the caption here is, that's great. We love healthy babies, but although this might be said in support, we must be careful about the messages we give. First, if a mother wants to breastfeed, telling her it doesn't matter can feel like you are saying her wishes don't matter. If she wants to breastfeed, support her to do that. Second, although it's perfectly possible for a baby not to be breastfed and to be fine because health guidelines are about the chances of something happening, not that it will, not all babies have an equal chance of being fine. And then she kind of, you know, went into some more explanation about that, but, um, at the end here, she says, we, we may, we must make sure that we are not stopping women receiving the messages that you, that just might make all the difference for them based on what happened to you, even if it is meant in kindness. So, you know, that what comes to mind is I've seen a lot of news stories lately about celebrities and them, you know, wanting to feel supported in their use of, of formula feeding and their struggles along their journeys. And, and there's sort of this, you know, yeah, like, oh, thank you for saying something sort of reaction. Right. Um, and it, it feels a little like people are feeling vindicated, like, oh, I couldn't breastfeed. So thank you for saying something. But then there's the whole flip side of the coin that sort of feels like we're not allowed to talk about. Um, so I would love for you to just, you know, let's, let's go deeper on that topic. You know, why, why is it that it seems like it's almost stigmatizing to give messages to women that are really supportive of breastfeeding?
1: Oh, it's, it, it's such a complicated issue, isn't it? And just as you were reading that back to me, I was thinking there are, there are so many different parts to it. Uh, there's, there's how women feel when they're not able to breastfeed and they have so many different emotions from that, that different people need different reactions. So sometimes whatever message you put out there, you end up upsetting one person with a message that you're trying to use to help somebody else. So you can kind of see where they come from with those I'll oh, look formula's fine, look my baby's fine. And trying to unpick it you you can kind of understand that they're trying to make other people feel better, but I think often they're trying to make themselves feel better, which is you know ap- absolutely valid. The issue is there is why they are feeling that guilt and those emotions that they want to go away in the first place so who is making them feel guilty why are we still in a position where when women are struggling they're blaming themselves and feeling guilty when usually it's lots of different influences outside them have led them to that position or it's something biological that they haven't got an answer for so they end up blaming themselves you've got the one issue there the main issue that I have with it is although they're trying to make people feel better and they're trying to make themselves feel better which of of course is important they're ending up harming others with the message in terms of either other women feeling dismissed and thinking that people are saying that breastfeeding didn't matter when it did matter to them so maybe they wanted to breastfeed but they weren't able to do so and they really wanted someone to actually acknowledge how awful they felt about that rather than telling them it, it didn't matter but the second issue within that is my worry about women who are in a position of a lot of privilege and their babies probably will be fined pretty much whatever happens because they're in a, a a position of lots of privilege and health benefits and they have to the support and everything around them blocking any information getting to women who are in less privileged positions say it's Kimberly Seals Alice talks about this a lot as well that you have a woman with a lot of money and health insurance or you know lots of protective health factors telling other women that breastfeeding doesn't matter because her baby was okay when in fact we know that there are loads of different influences on someone's health so for a baby in a less privileged circumstance we know that breastfeeding is even more important for them it can make that real difference it can help lift them the effects of poverty and other issues that their mother might not be able to control because of issues such as a lack of money or a lack of support around her and that's where it kind of gets really complicated you can't tell anybody else that their baby will be fine because you don't know and that's not meant in a way to scare people, but it's saying that, you know, you, you, you can only judge what's happened to your own baby. It's a really complicated issue because the whole thing gets turned into women feeling different things, women blaming themselves, women blaming each other, when in fact it's a wider societal public health issue where they've been let down in some form usually if you've got a woman in front of you who breastfed before was breastfeeding but had to stop before she was ready it's rarely because she just thought you know what i can't be bothered to do this anymore usually she's tried a million and one things and has reached the conclusion that she can't continue and that's usually because somebody else has let her down along the way whether that's employment whether that's society whether that's family you know whoever it is who hasn't supported her or she's got that physiological issue, which is perhaps getting in the way with her of making a full milk supply, or there's there's some health issue. And she's probably rarely got the the answer. I was talking about this on Twitter this morning. It's really odd that we tell women, if they're not making enough milk or that they can't breastfeed, that it's all right, lots of women can't do that. Um, it's really difficult, as if we've just got a part of the body that often doesn't work. And that's not a bit odd <laughs> i can't imagine it happening for any other part you know your finger falls off or something and you go to the the doctor and they go oh you know that's quite normal fingers fall off all the time um <laughs> <laughs> what are you complaining about you got another nine um but it is it, that so she's ended up in a position where she's struggling with everything and struggling to make sense of it and struggling to make sense of how she feels And then we fall into all these issues with with messaging about whether it matters or not. And whether it matters or not is such a personal issue and such a contextual issue to your own situation around you. We're not all equal in terms of the privilege that we have. So breastfeeding matters in different ways to different people.
0: Mm. I'm so, wow, that's a lot there to unpack. And I like the comparison you gave about the finger falling off because (laughs) it's... uh, we say that in the world of treating tongue or lip ties that, you know, is there some, sometimes the physician will say, you know, Oh, well, one day your baby will fall and they'll hit their mouth on the ground and the lip tie will split open and, and then it will be fixed. i like, do you normally recommend accidental injury for medical treatment or <laughs> so it's sort of, sort of the same thing. There's a couple ways in which breastfeeding seems to be neglected, you know, in that sense of, of support, and you know, I know where you are in the UK. The breastfeeding rates are are very low, and sometimes uh, people in the US are shocked to hear that because they think, "Oh, well, it's a, you know, it's a it's a well-to-do country, so why would that be the case?" And you know, what are you seeing are the reasons
1: for that where you are? I mean, I'd love to do some research going forward comparing what's going on between the US and UK because it it shocks always shocks us that you've got better breastfeeding rates than we do because we have extended maternity leave so you think that would be one of the biggest things that would help protect breastfeeding for women we've got all the same reasons that that you have just sort of acting out in in different ways and it's usually a case that put simply a woman wants to breastfeed She's told that breastfeeding is best for her baby. She's told that she should breastfeed. And then it's almost like society, public health, everything puts all these different barriers in her way until she ends up at the other end, not able to breastfeed and and blaming herself. So it's things like not really being able to get the support she needs right after birth. A lot of problems are arising in those early days, so practical ones, where she's just not able to get that one-to-one support and care and attention she needs and that's not blaming individual healthcare providers it's uh, underfunded nhs it's it's the fact that we don't have enough one-to-one support for women after the birth antenatal education she's often not told what it's really going to be like so this is something else i post a lot about on social media but we don't really talk about what babies are like and what normal baby behavior is so you know women are often told well this is how you latch your baby on and breast milk is really good for your baby but none of the sort of practicalities well look they're probably just going to basically want to feed all the time um they're not going to want to be put down um they're going to wake up lots and if you feed them it'll solve everything um (laughs) instead we're kind of given this almost idea that babies are these little robots that you could feed in this routine every few hours and there's something wrong if if they don't feed like that we still got I mean we're getting slightly better but we've still got ridiculous attitudes around breastfeeding in public um that you know it it's not exciting. I think I think it is slightly getting better I think it's the one thing that is improving um but we we still have you know people thinking that it, it's strange to be feeding out in a bow um sexualizing it, all those all those things just just a kind of a lack of lack of support but it it does really surprise me given our extensive maternity leave that most women can access that we don't have higher rates compared to you in fact we have very similar initiation rates but it seems to then drop off so we only have about a third of women giving any breast milk at all by six months our exclusive breastfeeding to six months figures are well officially they're around one percent it might be slightly higher than that but that's the sort of figure that comes out in the data they're really really low
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, um, so interesting about that. The maternity leave doesn't seem to be affecting it. Um, I know when our son was, I think about six months old, we had traveled to Canada and stayed there for a month. I have in-laws there and I felt like everywhere I went, people were like, Oh, you're breastfeeding. Like I'm on a park bench or whatever. Um, and they were just kind of shocked that I was because they knew that we didn't have that kind of leave here in the U S so they were like, wow, good for you. You've made it against all odds sort of thing. And I said, well, it's, um, I don't know. I think maybe there's, you know, there's, there's so many factors and you know, what, what role do you feel like the more marketing of formula plays in that? I know it's, uh, such a hot word, I guess, to say for a lot of people, because they feel like, you know." It, 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 it seems like a difficult discussion to have, you know, breastfeeding and formula, and it's this debate. But, you know, I don't think we can deny that there's. It, it's great that we have it when we need it, but the marketing is, it is different in different places in the world. Um, but I do think it poses a lot of really huge challenges for people who want to breastfeed.
1: Doesn't it? it it's the way that it sort of gets absolutely everywhere. So even we, though we have stricter advertising laws compared to you in the US, they find multiple ways to get around it. They use messages that lots of people will tell you, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not affected by marketing messages. I don't believe them, but someone must be believing them and being affected by them, even if it's subconsciously, because they put so many billions of dollars globally into advertising every single year it's absolutely not the formula we're against absolutely not against women making an informed choice that they want to use formula it's about the underhand tactics that are used to try and persuade women that it's needed or it's necessary or that it will bring about effects that just aren't true so we have a lot of issues, which I'm sure you do too, around subliminal or direct messaging around. Well, you know, formula will help your baby sleep. Um, this formula has all these added ingredients in it. We did some research recently. Um, I can link to that that report if you like um, afterwards. Looking at what parents thought about formula and different messaging and different brands, and it was very clear. You know, this this is the milk. That will help my baby do this this is the milk that helps brain development this is the milk that um, you know is comforting for your baby even though in the uk all our first-stage formula milks are pretty much identical in terms of content there's no real difference between them but there's a vast difference in price and it's all based on that subtle and not so subtle messaging around what each formula does So I'm not going to name brands because I'm not here to advertise, but there's there's, you know, the most expensive formulas. There's a real belief that they are made by scientists and they're, you know, the scientific ones that help brain development and all of this. And they will be twice, three times the price of your supermarket brand formula, which is seen as the happy baby formula, you know, the happy families, happy mums. when it's virtually exactly the same thing. So if you add up that cost over time, parents are being persuaded to buy a much more expensive formula, which they often can't afford, when there's no real difference or real promise that it will make this huge difference for their baby over the other one when it won't. And we've had stories in the press of, you know, parents going without to try and buy. Um, that formula of parents then watering down bottles, believing, you know, they have to make it stretch, but they've bought the more expensive one when they didn't need to, worrying that they can't afford that most expensive one, so they're harming their baby. And it, it's all of those, those tactics and where they advertise and how they advertise. I mean, there's there's uh, was some research um, that was from Australia that was looking at different formula strategies around the world. And in the US, you don't really have such a market for second stage or follow-on formula, do you, for babies aged six to 12 months, say? Not as
0: not as big, no, uh, definitely it's, not. And yeah. I know it's worse in in other countries that are not as well off, like Thailand, for instance, they market these toddler formulas up until age five, I believe, that they have now convinced a, a large portion of the population that your, your child should be on some sort of formulated milk like a protein shake almost, uh, for five years. And these are infant formula (laughs) companies, you know, so, um, you know, it's that, that makes my heart sad because there's no way that, that that's required of every child up until age five.
1: So in, in the UK, you're not allowed to advertise first stage formula. So, first stage formula is actually suitable from 0 to 12 months. Um, when your baby gets to 12 months, they can move on to if they need milk, they can have cow's milk just as part of a very diet. But it's because you're not allowed to advertise, and there are uh, laws that we follow you, you can't advertise to babies under six months or parents of babies under six months. You can't advertise first stage milk at all because it covers babies from nought to six months so essentially they designed follow-on formula which is suitable supposedly for babies for six to twelve months old because you are allowed to advertise that so you see adverts for it absolutely everywhere um, I, I mean, I, th- I think my children nearly disowned me because we were in the cinema. Remember those? Oh, you still have cinemas. We we don't. We have an Adam Frenches. Yeah, You can actually go to a movie here. It's kind yeah. of crazy. All right. OK. You haven't been able to to one here but... for a year. Yeah. Anyway. So um, it, I was watching a children's film and, you know, you have adverts beforehand. They, they were advertising follow on form, formula for this children's film. And I was just like, this is, you know, this is ridiculous so they advertise it absolutely everywhere but one of the problems is that a big chunk of the population don't actually realize that they're advertising second stage formula they just see formula advertised they just see the brand being advertised and then they take all the messaging that is actually inaccurate and not supported by science from that second stage formula and apply it in their heads to the first stage formula and then go out and the corresponding formula for their baby based on scientific claims that aren't actually true. And there's been lots of research around that lately. So it's that, it's the nasty misperceptions and misconstrued, basically lying adverts that I have the rage against. Not a mother who chooses or a family who chooses to use formula milk or the formula milk itself, or the, you know a baby being fed formula that's that's not the issue it's it's how people are manipulated not necessarily into definitely buying the formula but really believing that this particular formula will solve all their problems and the more, more they have to part with money for more expensive ones and and it's just awful and it just continues and we keep calling it out and it keeps getting worse and worse the the adverts are just about everywhere you know, in it, they completely circumnavigate the law that we supposedly got to protect families from inaccurate marketing.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not surprised that they found a way to get around um, because, you know, it it is it is a very big market, and I I agree with you. You know, I don't have a problem with formula. You know, it's it's great that we have it, and if you need it, if you choose it, it's there. Awesome. But it is that marketing, like you said, this perception that parents end up having. Um, And, you know, a common question I get whenever I work with someone, you know, during their pregnancy and they want to just be prepared, which formula is the best in case I need it? (laughs) And there is that, you know, idea that if I pay more, it's better or, oh, this one has probiotics. Meanwhile. You should be mixing that with boiling water. So I don't know if those probiotics are really surviving. And you know, there's just all these ideas, right? They're just sold on, you know, oh, this one has, you know, something better for the brain and all those things, like you mentioned. So it 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 breaks my heart to see parents not getting the information that they're wanting to get. I guess is a good way to put it. Um, and then you know, coupled with the marketing campaigns that I've seen here they're very emotionally based here. So I don't know if they're more science based where you are, but it's the, I think it was the, I won't say the brand, but there was the tagline, the sisterhood of motherhood. And, um, you know, just this, you hardly even see the milk in the commercial. And that's the way a lot of advertising has gone. And so now it's this feeling, right? Like you said, like the happy baby, the happy mom and, you're buying into you're they're selling a feeling and then you're buying into the feeling and um i think that is so problematic because of all of the emotional difficulties that new moms already face so it's hard enough right let's even put breastfeeding aside it's hard enough to bring a baby into the world and then to parent that baby and and all the things now if you're struggling with breastfeeding and the doubt and you know what is is that a thing that just it's it's something that we do as women is that we internalize these things like we we feel the guilt uh, we do self blame uh, or there's there's anger that you know we we have this buildup of things and it comes out as anger why is that happening for for us as women and mothers
1: I think we're socialized into doing it I think society encourages it because it keeps women in their place as such I think you know it that's just basically advertising isn't it they we've got to a place where women have been made to feel so guilty and so lacking in various ways over the decades that it's a really kind of clever trap as such I think you know there is a line somewhere isn't it you know that if, if women woke up tomorrow and recognised their worth, a lot of businesses would go completely bust because they wouldn't be buying all this all this stuff. And, it, you know, and, and in no way blaming women for feeling that way. It's, it's something that is is layered on them. And I think we do it, you know, even, even to children. People treat little children differently, don't we? We expect little girls to be different to little boys. I mean, I, I don't mean on an individual level. I mean what society tells them. Um, The messages about you must be caring, you must worry about this, you must worry about that. Men just don't get the same level of blame and guilt put on them when they become fathers. Um, They're praised for far lower standards of care. Um, They're praised for doing the minimum. They get away with far worse behaviour. It's something, I can't remember what it was that we, we were talking about at some point, but, you know, society doesn't, you know, chastise men to an extreme level if they walk away from their children but a mother who did that would have such you know hatred given to her for doing it it's that double kind of standards that are used and I think we just internalize it and marketing plays on that there was a research paper that was published I think it was just before Christmas sometime Um, it was published in Scotland I can't remember which university it might be the University of Stirling where they actually managed to interview formula company reps around the techniques that they used. And I mean, the the paper is just everything you would expect, but can't believe is written down. So there you have these reps talking proudly about how, you know, guilt is a brilliant sales tactic and how if you can draw a first-time mother in with all these inflated claims and lies, then you've basically got her for life. And it is so cold that just repeats everything we sort of knew was happening, but never had the hard proof of. And they just talk about how they use emotion and how they label mothers as different types. So you have three types of mums. I can't remember the third type, but the two main types are. Um, science educated mum who wants you know the science milk and wants the um, probiotics and wants adverts with people in white coats and labs making milk and then you have the mum who just wants her baby to be happy and wants them to grow up and have a good life so you have the you know the baby laughing in the advert because they're so happy or the baby being a ballerina and having a lovely life being a ballerina and they've kind of marketed specifically to these two types of mum and you just think this is awful (laughs) given how much guilt and emotion and worry that mothers carry through the whole of pregnancy and birthing and caring for their baby I mean some of them are absolutely fine you know that they're not the ones I worry about at all who happily make an informed decision they want to use formula milk and that's that. Right. Lovely. It's the mothers I really worry about who really wanted to breastfeed and then couldn't, or the mothers who are breastfeeding and getting all the messages continually from family and friends that they should be giving their baby formula. Because that's something we see a lot of, you know, breast, you still have families who believe that science milk in a bottle is better than breast milk could ever be. So they're getting the pressure there. And for industry to come along and Deliver, you know, openly say, yeah, we take advantage of that to sell our product.
0: It's mm. awful
1: to see it just written down. I mean, I, I had to re- read this paper so many times. I was so angry at it, but also so glad that it had been done. Um, it's just it's, shocking to see. It's terrible, you know, it's, <laughs>
0: and it's ironic
1: because I feel like any
0: time anyone or an organization wants to do something to promote and support breastfeeding, there is often a backlash that says that we are guilting moms. We are shaming them. How dare we contribute to the guilt of moms? And here are the formula representatives saying, oh, we love guilt. We use it as a tool to sell our product. And I'm over here like, no, me supporting breastfeeding has nothing to do with formula. I'm just supporting breastfeeding. If you don't like it, go away, like move on. Um, And I just, you know, speaking from many colleagues um, and and personal experience um, with some things I've posted on social media, uh, where, you know, this, this is a great offense is taken and, you know, well, you should support whatever a mom chooses. Yes, I do. But I specifically have a job that supports breastfeeding moms. I don't have a job that supports exclusively formula feeding moms. So that's just not my role. I stay in my lane. Um, but it's, it's just like, you're, you're sort of damned if you do damned if you don't. The guilt is just all around and i think it's a, a huge problem for getting the messaging out about breastfeeding and i'd like to see that change um, i'm sure you've thought about this as if i what do you think are some of the best ways that we can get supportive messages out there to the moms who need and want to hear them
1: i think it's a sort of two-pronged approach in that you need to be able to talk openly about breastfeeding and supporting breastfeeding But what I've been working on over the last couple of years or so is really reaching out to those who haven't been able to breastfeed and having that open and honest conversation with them. And I think we've genuinely, at least in the UK, seen quite a shift in the last couple of years where more women are realising just how much they've been let down, um, that, that this isn't their fault and also that we're not. Criticizing formula milk and to be able to say, I really wanted to breastfeed is not saying, I wish, um, you know, I, I wish I wasn't formula feeding or formula milk is awful. You know, y- you can absolutely be completely grateful and happy that you're now formula feeding on your baby, you're thriving, but also still be really grieving not being able to breastfeed. that they, they, you know, they, they're not too completely opposing. You can hold them at once. And it's not saying, you know, by saying, I'm really, really grieving, not being able to breastfeed my baby. It's not saying I hate formula, you're an awful mother for formula feeding. I think we're finally seeing more women open up and be able to say, well, actually, it was really important to me. Um, Because as always, women are left out of the conversation when it comes to having a baby in a way that um, they don't matter as such you know it's like birth trauma isn't it look your baby's fine what on earth are you upset about that message that women get well you know your baby can be absolutely fine and you can be really grateful that we had the technology and the medical expertise to give you that crash cesarean section but you can still be upset about it um, and it's the same same with breastfeeding and I think more women are openly saying well actually I wanted to breastfeed for all sorts of reasons that are important to me, not my baby. It's it's a, something that involves two people, um, and if you ask a woman why why do you want to breastfeed? Why is breastfeeding important to you? She almost guaranteed will say, "Oh well, because it protects my baby's health," and you're like, "Well, okay, so that's one reason. Why else?" And it, it sometimes you can see women are hesitant to go, "Oh well, actually, it's just kind of how I wanted to mother my baby. It's how I wanted to." care for them oh I wanted to because we've got a breast cancer risk in our family and I wanted to reduce my risk that way or I just felt it was more convenient or you know I just wanted to do what I expected my body to be able to do or my religion says it was important and it's important to me for religious or cultural or family reasons they're all good reasons and actually opening the conversation in that way I think is helping women realize that they're being let down um rather than internalising everything and feeling guilty. What I'd love is for no one who stopped breastfeeding to feel guilty, instead to feel angry, at who let them down along the way. And I think this is just a really important conversation to keep having. And there's, talked taught about a good psychological technique, which when you blame yourself for something, like, I don't know, you fail an exam, is it all your fault? Or are there other things that happened along the way where you were let down? So your teacher wasn't very engaging, or your partner didn't take the load off you, or this, or this, or this, who, you know, who, who should be shouldering a little bit of blame here. And it's the same with with breastfeeding, if you've stopped breastfeeding, was it really your fault? Or was it because you couldn't get the medical support you needed was it because your partner wasn't supporting you your mother-in-law was saying this your employer was saying that society was saying this and you know it's it's all of them things and if we can get that push back for women to realize that they've been let down and a, a big way is coming back to this idea of they're just not being medical tests and in the UK we don't really have a medical specialism so you have um lactation um the word um breastfeeding medicine specialists um you have doctors who you know who have their official title here we don't we have we have increasing number of medics who are interested in it and passionate about it but it's, it's not necessarily their title we don't really even have many medics who are also IBCLCs so too many women are getting incorrect um medical advice um they're not getting the tests they need if something goes wrong. They're just told it, it doesn't matter, give a bottle of formula. Um, we see, just uh, you got me going off a complete tangent here. Um, <laughs> this just, is great. See, see with, the, with the vaccination, um, COVID vaccine in the UK, um, you were far better than us. Um, we When it originally came out and we had the message that you're going to start... Um, from like next Monday, we're going to start vaccinating um, healthcare professionals. It was like nobody had ever considered that a healthcare professional might be breastfeeding. And they, because it wasn't tested with women who were breastfeeding, they put out the message that women who are breastfeeding couldn't have it. Um, along with the message with, oh, they you can just have it when you stop as if that's going to be next week or something. And women were going, <laughs> right. look, you know, it, I, I'm breastfeeding this baby, I've got no plans to stop, then I'm probably going to have another. and you know, right. <laughs> there is no future at the moment where I can see me stopping. And a group of medics and pharmacists and lots lots of people got together and basically lobbied for um, the the license to, for it to be okay for breastfeeding women they can make the decision to have it. That's fine. But still, that hasn't trickled through. So women are still turning up to have their vaccination and being told oh no we're told that breastfeeding women can't have this so even though they can that messaging still hasn't got through it and it's it's awful it's medical ne- negligence surely to be giving women incorrect information but we we have it all the time with medicines here women are told that you can't breastfeed with that when you can or you have to stop breastfeeding to take this medication then we did research a few years ago that showed that if women are forced to make that decision they'll put their baby in breastfeeding first over the medication. So it's not that they stop breastfeeding to take it. They don't take the medication and risk their own health because it's so important to them. Mm. Um, I don't that know where we were from here. there. That, yeah, <laughs> that was from what should we do? Well, first of no, course, as a medical issue, um, we've got to have, have it taken seriously that this is a a health medical issue. Breastfeeding is a health issue. It's, it's part of health and medicine. It's not some weird hobby that women do for fun, which I think is almost how it's treated sometimes, like some kind of strange hobby, like, oh, look, you tried, I don't know, white water rafting. <laughs> it hasn't worked out. Sorry, you can't do that anymore. Um, rather than it being part of their body. I, I, I just can't get past this idea that women are told their body doesn't work and have no explanation or test for that. And then mm. blame themselves. It's 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 so mixed up, but it comes back to that idea of getting women to shoulder the responsibility and the blame, because if they actually push back against it, we'd have to do something to change it. And I don't mean we; I mean public health, governments, etc.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. I I think what you <laughs> just said there about we have to really look at breastfeeding as a health issue, which it is, because You know, too many people, I think, find themselves trying to DIY everything as well. And so then that's where that shouldering the blame comes from. They don't even, sometimes there's even just lack of awareness of, uh, you know, lactation consultants or any sort of lactation professional um, that we exist or we exist outside the hospital. Sometimes that's really an unknown. Um, In fact, I just met a woman today when I was working who uh, works in healthcare and was surprised to hear that there are lactation consultants who don't work in the hospital. Um, And I, now, now she knows, Um, but you know, there's, there's just still such a lack of awareness of things I feel. And then the other issue that I see is, you know, several times a day where women contact me and say, oh, I've tried it all and I just cannot make breastfeeding work. And so they come to me. And it's not that they—they've tried everything they know how to try, but they've never looked at breastfeeding through the lens of it's a health problem. So they try all of these ancillary things that, sadly, because of marketing and it's—it's it's, you know, form, formula marketing, baby product marketing is just really poor in general. So they think, oh, this special swaddle will fix it, or this, you know, pacifier will be the magic bullet that we need to fix this problem, or you know, whatever it is, and so. I, you know, I, I, I feel for these moms because they, a mom who has enough, you know, wealth to use on products like that, um, is in a better position because they still have money left over to seek out some, you know, help from someone like me. A mother who's not in that position, though, probably one can't afford to work with me privately and, um, you know, also cannot spend money on any of these other solutions, and, and she probably doesn't have the time to invest in it, she's probably already back at work. So she can't just sit on Amazon and read mom blogs all day. She's got, you know, other priorities in life or maybe has other children to care for, you know, all the circumstances. And so I always think if we just bring breastfeeding back to the lens of a health problem, and if we get the healthcare community and society and governments and things and so forth to look at it through that lens, then that can hopefully trickle down to other people. Um, Just my thoughts, but it's always funny when people sort of go, Oh, Breastfeeding problems or health problems? Oh, like it's like a light
1: bulb goes on, you know. I mean, it's that that lack of awareness about IBCLCs, um, the lack of them being everywhere. I can't. I don't even know when I first found out about them. It certainly wasn't before I had my first baby. It was some time afterwards that they actually realised that they were a thing. Um, I don't think I realised that peer supporters or breastfeeding counsellors were even anything until I'd had that first baby. To, to realize that there was a specialist, it it took far longer. and I think a lot of the general population certainly in the UK aren't aware that there is a specialist who can help them. Um, we often people have lost their positions in hospitals in in cuts in the UK, so sometimes there isn't even one available for them on the NHS. There is that strange strange kind of perception that somehow, um, spending money on a lactation consultant is an uh, expense that they don't want to s- spend, that it's it's not worth it, where people will go out and buy very expensive products. I guess it's the quick fix thing versus paying for who they see as a therapist or something, I don't know, when you can often solve the problem in the long run um, far more cheaply, really. Um, but it's it's that, I think it's just that lack of awareness of it all and the fact as well that so much of this is propped up on volunteers it's really weird so in the UK we have so much that is reliant on voluntary peer supporters and volunteer breastfeeding counsellors and passionate volunteers in other roles and you just think for what other area of health would we do this can you imagine kind of like heart attack peer supporters so you have a (laughs) heart attack and you're like well Right then, just pop down to this local heart attack peer support group down the road where everybody's had a heart attack, and they'll tell you what to do it, it you know it's it's nonsense, <laughs> it's laughable when you think about it, but that's essentially what happens for something that I don't know what the you know the percentage of women having babies, but you know let's say seventy five percent of women have a baby at some point in their life. it's going to apply to seventy five percent of women at some point it's 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 not like some niche health issue, it's it's a really common thing. Um even if you just have a few percent of women having difficulties based on health issues, um, there's still a lot of women. Um so it's it's just really weird um when you start unpicking it like this. Mm.
0: It is weird. It is weird. And I I was a lala J League leader, which is you know volunteer breastfeeding support before uh I ever became an IBCLC and I've Done some business coaching for colleagues as well. And and it just as a community, as a whole, IBCLCs have a really hard time charging enough for their services or even charging at all. And, you know, I know that there are many people in healthcare that, you know, do certain volunteer hours, um, but that's usually like a pre planned thing or they have a set sort of number of pro bono appointments they'll do a year. Uh, whereas lactation consultants seem to find themselves getting roped into the role of the volunteer again. And the unfortunate truth is that they all have to face at some point is if they're running their own private practices, if you don't make money, you can't help other people. How it's not, a, it's not a charity. And truth be told, charities do make money. They just ask other people for money and not the person that they're serving. So we have to have this flow of money Uh, to be able to support the things that we do. It's great that women have come together to volunteer, to support each other in these efforts. Um, But I try to remind people that, you know, the role of the support group, support groups are great. There are support groups for people that are going through cancer treatment. They just don't treat the cancer there. So please don't show up to a breastfeeding support group and expect them to help you latch your baby, treat your sore nipples, check if there's a tongue tie, uh, know if you're making enough milk. That's not what they are there for. Uh, and so, unfortunately, I just think that these groups have been put into a, a really terrible position where, you know, pediatricians will tell the mother, oh, you're having a hard time breastfeeding, go to this meeting. And that's, that's not a referral that, that we shouldn't be referring to support groups for that, like you said, and, and I'm over here going, I'm right down the street from you. Why aren't you referring to me? <laughs> You know, um, and so it's it's just such a multifactorial problem where I think that because most IBCLCs are women and mothers and mothers who have breastfed, um, that it's like that internal guilt that you're talking about trickles down into our own employment. We feel guilty <laughs> about helping other mother. Well, we don't feel guilty about helping them, but we certainly feel guilty about charging them for what we do,
1: and that is also a problem in this whole mess that we're in. It's the whole um, women doing so much unpaid labour, isn't it? That women are propping up society with all the unpaid labour that they do. And the whole same guilt issue that plays on breastfeeding mothers' minds is playing on the lactation consultants as well. I think, you know, as you say, it's such a female-dominated profession that they get away with it when, in fact, what was it? Oh, it was Twitter today and... Liz Brooks was talking about, you know, we should be paid for our expertise. Um, Any other profession would demand this and any other equivalent trained health profession. I mean, how much you pay to go to a chiropractor? You don't see chiropractors giving away free whatever they do, (laughs) free manipulations or, you know, you wouldn't go to a dental specialist or a plastic surgeon and expect them to be doing loads of stuff for free. Um, It's so strange. And it's again, just this ingrained. And I think also the type of woman who often goes into lactation consultants, they care. Um, They've usually seen so many bad experiences or had that challenges themselves that they're then driven by that empathy and driven by wanting desperately to help. And of course it's to their own detriment. And it's also to the profession's detriment in the idea, as you said, of, you know, until everybody stands together and shouts about their worth and everybody recognizes their worth, it just kind of carries on going.
0: Mm. Yes. (laughs) And it's, it's unfortunate because I, I think like you said about that the world is propped up on, the unpaid labor of women that when we serve those women, we know that we're witnessing doing them doing the unpaid labor, right? They're the, they're the ones who, uh, you know, at least here, even in in January, I forget the number that came out, um, but it was uh, 140,000 jobs or something had been lost in the United States. And every single one of those were female jobs. So when it comes to the challenges that our society faces and you know, the choice of who's going to stay home with the children, um, disproportionately, it falls on women. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. So when, when we go in as, you know, professionals to serve these women, we recognize that they're doing this unpaid labor and and may have even, you know, they've made sacrifices to be able to bring this child in, um, most notably, you know, their income and their professions, um, and so we feel we feel that we're, try, we're like trying to support this vicious cycle of, you know, like we want to cut them a break because we know they're having a hard time and we feel it and we hear it and we sense it. And it just is. Um, but like you said, uh, you know, having things like this, you know, paid time off after having a baby is no guarantee that breastfeeding is going to be supported um, like it, you know, in the UK. So it it leads us to a lot of Uh, A lot of different issues from policy and privilege and, you know, just the heart of the actual people themselves. And, um, I know that you do such a good job of talking about the impact to the parent. And I love that you brought up, you know, moms might just want to breastfeed because they want something out of it for themselves. It's not that they're selfish, but so much of that focus is on the baby you know, we call it, you know, we can, we obviously infant feeding is a part of breastfeeding, but it is not uh, all of breastfeeding. And, you know, how are we, what are, I guess, what are you seeing when it comes to women's mental health regarding breastfeeding and just, you know, the new parenting in general?
1: I I think it's just also tied up in it and, and, and so complex. And as you were speaking there, I was just thinking about the, the underlying factor that, mothering is undervalued so it's not valued of what it adds it, it's not just practically caring for the child in that given moment it's shaping and creating and supporting the adult that they're going to become and the same with with breastfeeding how much it's Julie Smith in Australia did a paper on how much breastfeeding is worth and in terms of, they're not just doing the unpaid labor of feeding the baby they're Doing the unpaid labour of propping up the economy essentially in, in what the impact of breastfeeding will be. So all the, the studies about how much breastfeeding saves or formula feeding costs an economy in terms of healthcare costs, um, you know, hospital appointments, GP appointments, and the knock-on effect across a population on things like IQ and work and productivity going forward is huge. There's a there's a big paper that was done in um, the US as well that really estimated you know what how much money would be saved by scaling up breastfeeding um, so every baby being breastfed I think it was 12 months and six months exclusively so it's that layer of upon layer of layer but women aren't valued for any of, of this in fact it's almost the opposite so they're kind of played down and ignored and belittled for being at home with their baby and caring for their baby and told they're only really worth it if they're propping up the economy in some way by having a job when actually they're doing loads by supporting that child growing up and breastfeeding that baby. It's just, just, I think that lack of, lack of value of a mother plus being told continually, she must be grateful and love every second of it. And she must all give her everything to the baby. I think that's, why sometimes some people struggle with the idea for some reason of a woman enjoying breastfeeding or it being time-saving or convenient to a mother. People seem really kind of twitchy about that as if like how dare might a mother's life be easier within all of this? How dare she find things slightly easier? She should be suffering. She should be giving everything um, because we don't value her. it, it's so, it, all those layers of pressure, no wonder we've got so much, you know, postnatal depression going on. Um, mothers and new parents feel under so much stress and pressure because of all these messages that they keep getting. We know in terms of mental health, that if breastfeeding is going well, it's really protective for, for mental health for all sorts of reasons, sort of physiologically, in terms of the hormones that are there. Um, prolactin can help a mum sleep. Um, oxytocin we know is just wonderful but also the expectations and the ability to do what she wants with her body. But we then know that if breastfeeding goes wrong, her risk of depression and anxiety and grief and trauma just skyrocket because of all of the stuff around it. The pain, we know pain causes depression. We know a lack of sleep and stress causes depression. Um, And within all of that, she's then being told none of it matters and nobody cares. And look, just, just give formula.
0: And I can't imagine that there's a lot of people out there who are thinking, well, I have this breastfeeding grief. Let me go see a counselor. Right. So it's, I mean, they may recognize postpartum depression and anxiety, but I think breastfeeding grief and trauma is just like birth trauma, right. Um, there, but I think breastfeeding grief and trauma are much more under-recognized than the birth trauma is. And, it really can be, um, traumatic. I almost maybe once a week, I hear from someone that says I have not breastfed for X number of months. Um, but it's really important to me. And I'm, I've, you know, I've now found you or or this resource and I understand I can possibly relactate, you know, I I would love to do that. And, um, that just breaks my heart because, you know, they, they're still out there searching, right? So part, part, they're trying to process the grief and they can't, they're kind of stuck on it. And it's, you can, you can relactate, um, but uh, it's just, it's, it's harder work. Right. And um, I just, th- I see a lot of people who even come and follow my page uh, on social media and what have you, and they're not breastfeeding anymore, but they want the information for the next baby, right? They're trying to to heal something. Sometimes I get a lot of comments. This explains what went wrong with my baby. And I remember doing that after my son's birth. That was traumatic for me. So um, I wish that we had more support in place, but you've written a wonderful book on the topic actually. So um, that's a good start for people Um, that are looking for something to help support them through that.
1: A lot of women reading it have said how healing it is even from just reading the, the the opening chapter is about what breastfeeding means to women and why it's why it might be important to them so lots of different reasons around what women value and just hearing that and chapters on how women feel when they can't breastfeed I think has just been so validating for women I'm obviously not saying I'm the only person saying this in, in lactation world but In the rest of the world, they keep getting the message that it doesn't matter. So one of the key features of, you know, lasting grief and trauma is being dismissed. So nobody pays attention to how you're feeling and you keep getting told it doesn't matter. And I think just sometimes someone turning around and going, oh, wow, this you you had an awful time. This clearly really mattered to you. No wonder you feel dreadful. This is all completely normal here here are lots of other women who feel the same way. I think that can be really validating and helpful to read because to understand that you're not alone or you're not weird for feeling this way. A lot of women write to me and go, I don't know how you've done it, but it's like you're writing about me in this book, but you can't be because, you know, it was published before they had their baby. And I think it's just been so powerful in helping women realise that it is important and it's okay for them to grieve and it's okay for them to miss it. One point you said there about women coming back with a second baby, one of the quite surprising findings when I was doing the research for the book was that sometimes women had their first baby and they couldn't breastfeed and they had all these difficulties and they, they moved on to formula and they kind of shoved it all to the back of their mind, locked it up in a little box and didn't think about it. And then when they had their second baby what i expected was when they had the second baby and could breastfeed them that that would make them feel better but it actually made them feel worse And when all the grief actually came pouring out because they realized it wasn't them that they weren't broken that stuff had got in the way before and they started being able to identify what went wrong and they felt awful, but it was the start of them being able to heal because we know with grief and trauma, you can't actually just put it in a little box and forget about it. It will come back at some point. And I think it's just about giving people the space to just say it was terrible and people go, yes, it was. I'm so sorry, rather than go, look, it doesn't matter. Your baby's fine. You know, that it's, it's so invalidating when someone says that and obviously we've got to work on a one-to-one basis here so for some women that's maybe what they want to hear they need that reassurance that their baby will be fine but for others it's just like a slap in the face like nobody cares they couldn't breastfeed and then everybody told them it didn't matter after they were told in pregnancy it really did Um, so it's it's just holding that space for them and I think there are some great perinatal counsellors who are able to support women through this we need more of them we need more recognition of it and I think it is growing um I do keep saying to women go you know you can go to an IBCLC you can you can go to them for support with breastfeeding grief you don't have to actually be breastfeeding to go and see a lactation consultant they are you know so well placed to help you because they see see this over and over again and often I think sometimes, I don't know if it's like this in the US, but in the UK we have almost some people believe that lactation consultants are only lactation consultants because they had this glorious breastfeeding experience where nothing ever went wrong and they want to make sure that all women breastfeed from now on, where it couldn't be further from the truth. So many lactation consultants are there because of the challenges that they had and that made them want to help others. Yeah, I don't think I'd
0: be doing what I do if I had an easy time breastfeeding. (laughs) I would not, because I needed to find the answers. I couldn't stop until I figured out what was wrong. And, and I was, I was invalidated, you know? So, um, and I actually saw an IBCLC. It wasn't her primary role. She was also a physician, but um, everything looks fine. And I was like, but why does it hurt so bad? Uh, And so I just kind of never stopped looking. And then at that point fell in love with the field. So Um, and then I, and then, you know, like you said, I, I sort of made an internal vow, like I don't ever want another woman to have to go through what I did and not have the support that I needed. And, um, so, and that's a big reason why I started the podcast was, well, people love podcasts. I think, I don't know, a lot of people seem to listen to them and, you know, maybe if you listen to Joe Rogan, you're not going to find this one, but, or whoever you like to listen to, but if I can reach someone somewhere with even just a a one minute clip of an episode that somehow changes something for them or or pushes them in the direction that they were looking for, then I want to do that. So um, that's so important that we're having the conversation that we've had today, which is really just so, so many different entanglements and it's you actually answered my question. I was going to end the episode with already, (laughs) which is so beautiful, but you know, for, I guess maybe, maybe we could go with this. Um, for anyone who's listening that's a healthcare professional of some sort, um, you know, what, what would you wanna to say to them? You know, this is your little soapbox moment to say something to them if they're listening. And then for the moms out there, what would you wanna leave them with?
1: Oh, wow, okay. Um, no pressure. I, I, I think I'd go for the line for both of them, that, you know, breastfeeding matters because women matters. It matters because it matters to women. It matters because their bodies matter. Um, They deserve the support and help and everything else that they do. Um, If a woman tells you that breastfeeding is important, work with her to make sure she gets the support she needs. If you don't have the skills, signpost her to the people who do. And for women, don't ever let anybody tell you that this doesn't matter if it matters to you then it matters
0: that's beautiful so beautiful well i just have to thank you so much for coming on today and um for anybody who wants to explore more of professor amy brown's musings which are just absolutely wonderful she has a blog i will link that up in the show notes she has amazing books I will link up the list of those in the show notes um and she's quite active on social media she told us about her little twitter adventure this morning so um you know there's lots of wonderful places to follow her in her incredible work so thank you for being on the show today it's been wonderful thank you for having me did you know most moms stop breastfeeding in the first month postpartum I believe succeeding at breastfeeding means having the right mindset In fact, studies show that the number one factor that determines breastfeeding success is commitment, which is why I've created my incredible audio download of breastfeeding affirmations, where I give you actionable mantras so you can breastfeed your baby with confidence and peace of mind. And best of all, it's free. To get access to this audio and PDF, simply visit holisticlactation.com mantras and you can get started right now.